My name is Melissa. My name is Katie. My name is Ashley Brooke. My name is is Emma Christensen. And I am a survivor of sex trafficking in America. Hello, and welcome to season one of our podcast, Selling Girls in America. This show is dedicated to shedding light on the crime of sex trafficking in America. We want to give a voice to survivors of this crime as well as discuss prevention methods to stop more people from becoming victims. I'm your host, Randy, a writer and podcaster, and I just learned about human trafficking in the United States. I wanted to put this podcast together with Guardian Group to learn more about these crimes and get answers to questions, questions that I think most Americans would have. Joining me shortly is Jeff Teagues, a military veteran with over 25 years of service in the Army and Chief Operations Officer of Guardian Group, a nonprofit organization that fights human trafficking within the United States. The following episode contains distressing content regarding sex trafficking. This may be triggering for those with lived experience or their families. Please proceed with caution. Welcome back to episode th- uh, three. We're going to talk about uh, the break, uh, the cycle of, uh, of trafficking and the uh, phase, which we call breaking into the life. Uh, is, that, is that true? Breaking into life or just called breaking? Breaking. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, I have uh, Dre with me from Guardian Group and Jeff. Uh, we only have Dre for a little bit, so uh, but but uh, it's going to be great to get her uh, kind of take on this. But what I really, uh, I guess, what I want to start out with is uh, how does the breaking occur? I, I assume it's it's in, it depends on the person. The the trafficker kind of fills out the person and feels like what needs to happen to break this person and into it into his power, and then also kind of what you know what the day in the life of a, of a traffic person is. Cause what we, we talked last time, I only wanted like a sentence, but Jeff gave me a, you know, war and peace on it. But basically uh, uh, you know, what, what, you know, what we, the, they basically the rest, the, any, after they have broken into the life, their, their life is hell, whether it's two days or two years. And, uh, and so what is the breaking process and what is that life? Yeah. So the breaking is when a victim is, she's been groomed. Her trafficker has this, this type of control, whatever kind of control he's using, whether it's emotional or he's got some kind of maybe some photos that he's using to coerce her into doing things and he's got that control. And so then he's going to introduce her into the life. And this experience is usually very, very traumatic. Um, usually it involves a lot of violence, a lot of gang rapes, um, he breaks her essentially breaks her spirit, breaks her, um, just her kind of her willingness to, to live essentially. And just now he owns her. Um, and the, the relationship kind of changes from this Romeo pimp to this, um, this is all you're good at now. You know, you're, you're a prostitute now you're just a whore now. And, and that kind of changes during this process. Um, so it's, it's always traumatic. Um, there's always a lot of complex trauma associated with it. Um, and then from that point forward, she's sold for sex. Um, and they say that 25% of victims report that they see on average 10 buyers a day. So we as kind of a culture and a community understand and talk about like the, if a woman experiences or a man experiences one unwanted sexual encounter, kind of the trauma associated with that. And we understand that like if a woman is raped one time, this is going to affect her life forever. And 
now we're talking about, um, you know, a girl sometimes really young being raped 10 times a day, um, every single day. And that doesn't stop. And so it's just one traumatic experience, um, after another. And so I don't think there's any one way to say this is like the average life in day in the life of a victim. But I think the big things to know is there's a lot of fear, um, a lot of unknown, um, and a lot of trauma. And she feels like she's lost control. She doesn't know the next time he's going to let her sleep. She doesn't know the next time he's going to let her eat. Maybe, um, you know, there's just a lot of that loss of control. And now she's just in survival mode and she's continuing to do these things to provide for her basic needs. So he says, I have to do this so I can eat. I'm going to do this because I haven't eaten and I'm starving. Um, and that basic survival instinct kind of kicks in. And, and, uh, so, I mean, it does, I mean, uh, so I, I'm, you're, you're making me emotional. So this is like every day, seven days a week, or are they moving from where they live to another location to do this and then coming back for a break or is it changed per every person's different? Yeah, I think you're going to get that answer a lot from us that every situation is unique, which is part of the frustrating part of this crime. Um, A lot of traffickers will move their victims from city to city so she doesn't have a resource or a way to leave. Like if you drop me off in my hometown, I know where the hospital is. I know um, who I can call. I have friends here. Um, You drop me off in, you know, Seattle, Washington. I don't know those things. It's not it's not as easy for me to leave. I'm suddenly out of my comfort zone. And so a lot of them will move, um, from place to place just to use that as a control tactic, um, and kind of pull her out of, out of her norm. Um, but I mean, there is no vacation. It's not like predators just take time off for the holidays. Um, I mean, girls are required to work whether, you know, once a month things happen physically to the woman body and they're still required to work. And the traffickers don't, you know, they got to make their money. So a trafficker usually, usually has what's called a stable, I guess, which is a number of people working, a number of women that are trafficked in his group. And do the people within that stable know each, know of each other, know each other, or, you know, have some kind of uh, strange relationship with each other, a victim relationship or, or a hierarchy relationship, I guess. Yeah, I think oftentimes they do. You know, we talk about kind of the different language associated with trafficking. And um, oftentimes these girls will refer to each other in like a kind of with a familial language. So like they'll call each other sister wives or wifey or they have they have some kind of relationship. Um, Usually I think the bottom is kind of the one ahead of all of them. Um, She's the one that has the most trust from the trafficker. Um, She may be the one that brought them in. Um, but yeah, I think oftentimes they do know each other. Do they live, do all these people like, so they trap, where are they doing the trafficking at a hotel? And then they, at night when they get their five hours of sleep, are they staying in that hotel room or are they going back to a, a, a large a house with a bunch of rooms where all the sisterhood lives, the stable lives, or I, I don't, I guess I don't, I can't picture what's going on. I, I'm yeah. Curious, I, uh, I have no idea. Again, it, it's, it just depends on their situation. Um, oftentimes the, 
the date with the buyer is made at a hotel. Um, it could be a, a private location, um, whether it's an apartment or an Airbnb or something like that. But oftentimes it is a hotel. Um, and where that victim is staying, it just depends on where they're at. If they have a house to stay in there, they may stay there or they may stay at the hotel. And Randy, we, we only have Dre for a, a little bit more this morning, but uh, let's, let's circle back on that because what, what we're starting to tread into now is the indicators and the things that we look for to identify these patterns and links uh, of, of trafficking. So we'll, we'll definitely, uh, I'll hit a couple of those questions again after Dre has to take off. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I don't actually, I don't, I can't think of anything else to ask Dre specifically. Is, is there something else you want to say before you leave addressing the, this uh, breaking into the life or. No, but I think later, which we'll probably cover in a later episode when we talk about like that million dollar question, um, why doesn't she leave? Why doesn't she run? Right. I think it's important to remember the trauma that she's experienced during the breaking phase because it's going to play a big role into the control her trafficker has over her. Um, and so I think it's something that you can't, we got to remember the amount of trauma that she's experienced. And that happens that first time that happens is the breaking phase. Cause uh, yeah, I see, I, 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 we talked about this o- offline a little bit before I was, I'm just, it's just, and, and it's not just me. I've talked to other people about it too. It's just, if you're in a hotel room, why aren't you calling someone? Why aren't you going next door and knocking on their door and asking for help? And, or, you know, are, are you afraid of the police? Um, uh, at some point, um, are, do you, do, do, are the Johns like that? Like, are they Satan or, I mean, they, they, they're just selfish. They're there for themselves. But if this girl's like, Hey, I'm, I don't want to do this. I'm being trafficked. Can you help me? Then is that even an option for them? It seems like there would be so many things they could do. And, and you're saying that they're psychologically, you know, they're, they're Stockholm syndrome or something like that. Right. And, and, or just scared out of their mind because of all the trauma they've suffered, maybe violence from the, the trafficker. Is that about right? Starting to go. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so every, like we've talked about, every trafficker has his own style of control. But when someone experiences this level of complex trauma, their brain doesn't function in the same way that, that ours does. And so that decision-making becomes different. Um, and it's really hard as someone who hasn't experienced that to understand that. And so traffickers will use different tactics to gain that, to maintain that control. So whether he's isolating her by moving her from city to city, or he's constantly lying to her and telling her, well, if you run, I'm going to find you. She's probably experienced some kind of violence or seen him be violent to somebody else. And that threat's real. Um, it's not just like, oh yeah, no, he won't. It's I've seen it or I've experienced it. And so I'm going to do what he says because I'm afraid for my life. Um, or, you know, maybe he's got all the lies of you'll be homeless. You're going to be poor. You're just a prostitute. Um, these words that are constantly just degrading, um, you know, you're not worth anything. This is all you're good at. And then if she's out in, com- in the community and people see her and they don't recognize what's going on and, and maybe she tells somebody and they react with some kind of shock or judgment, then all these lives become really real. And that's very hard to break away from, um, especially when you've got all this trauma on top of it. Um, so it makes it a lot harder for her to just tell somebody or just call um, You know, if 
if he's told you you're going to be homeless or you're not going to have any money and maybe her family's not around or she doesn't have family and then she doesn't know there are resources out there, then, then that's true. She's going to stick with that. So. Randy, I would add there's, there's two ways to look at this. And, and one of those is uh, the domestic abuse angle. We did not understand this, you know, 30, 40 years ago, why a wife would stay in an abusive relationship. We're now beginning to understand the psychological components of that, what, what that trauma does to, to, to reshape the way that these, these people think. So there, that's one way to look at it is from how we now understand the abuse cycle, uh, child abuse. How come, how come children that are being abused by their parents don't just, don't just run away? Why don't they tell somebody? You know, we're beginning to understand that. Domestic abuse, how come these women don't leave these relationships? So that's one way to look at it. But one way I want to talk to you specifically about, again, because of our experiences, think back to Sears School. We talked about this. Survival, evasion, resistance, escape. How come you didn't escape when you were captive at Sears School? Where were you going to go? You know, I mean, were there opportunities when we're going through our training and we've got those controllers and those controllers are telling us when to sleep, when to eat. They control everything about our lives. There were opportunities while we're going through Sears School for us to escape. But there were things that were holding us back. One of those questions is, where am I going to go? I get out of this compound. I get away from my captors. And then what? That was that's weighing over our head. Now, here's the biggie. When your captor tells you, Randy, you escaped from this camp. I'm going to kill the other four people that you're bunking with. And you know that to be true. So just that threat alone is going to keep you withstanding that terror. Am I, are, you know what I mean? Do you, do you understand where I'm, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that, Randy? You're starting to kind of understand what these girls are going through? Well, and that goes with if they have a child uh, involved in this situation. It also goes with the stable, right? So if they, if they have made some relationships with the women there and they sympathize with their co-prisoners, victims, then uh, and then they say, hey, I'm going to – I'm going to kill Alicia if you don't do what I say, then, then another life's on the line, not just yours. You're not just risking your own life. So I, I think I know, where, I think I see where you're coming from. And, th- and that's a great example. And, and you know, the, the one Sears school we went through, they didn't play that game. They didn't get online and show us our lives. Other, other trainings that I've been through, they'll show you, they'll, they'll see, this is, this is your wife. These are your two sons. We've figured that out from looking at your social media presence online. If you don't do what we tell you to do, those people are going to be harmed. And that that threat of violence against people that I love, dude, I'll do just about anything. And you and you nailed it too with the with the uh, with the children. One of the mo's of, that some of these pimps use is they'll purposefully get the victim pregnant because now they have this child that they can hang over their head. And I'll I'll tell you what the 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 the, the instinct of moms, the instincts of these women, they'll do anything. We talked about unimaginable, unfathomable horror. They will withstand unfathomable horror to protect their child. And, and, and we see that over and over again. Too often we're looking at this from our healthy lives. You know, we've got to look at this from the, the most diabolical, manipulative, coercive, exploitive kind of thing that we can imagine. And that's where you and I, that's why I take you back to Sears School. That was, that was the place where you felt utterly helpless, utterly under control. And look at how much they were able to control us in just a couple of days. 
was just threats of violence, you know, controlling all of the things that, uh, that we take for granted. Dre, you got to go now? Yeah, I got to go. Hey, <laughs> Thank you. Hey, thanks for stopping by. I appreciate it. We'll, so I will talk to you in the later episode, I'm sure. Okay. Bye. Bye. So, uh, okay. I, I get it. So that, that, that actually eliminates a lot of my, I mean, I had a, a series of questions about, you know, did looking at this tactically, like, Hey, you're going into a hotel. How hard is it to get out of a hotel? I've seen it in movies all the time. You go down the fire escape, you know, you go upstairs instead of downstairs, you trick them, you knock on the next guy's door on the floor up and you get on there and use their phone and call the police. Um, so, but if they got this psychological, I can go, I can, I can kill your mom. I know where you, I know where you live. Your mom, trust me, I could go there. I could say, Hey, you know, I'm really worried about her. I haven't seen her in a while. And then I can stab her. Uh, I could, if you have child, obviously that's, that's a super connection, you know, friends, you know, your other stable mates, if, if there's some connection there, I can, I can, so that, 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 uh, kind of eliminates all the tactical pieces right there. You don't want to escape because you're afraid for everyone else's life around you. And, and I'll expand on that, but let me, t- let me tell you a little story. So there, there, we do have a story here where a young lady in a small town, um, she met this big, big town, big, big, big city boy. Uh, and he had a couple of girls with her and he was flashy and he had this whole persona of, of being a music artist and they were at this party and he convinced these two girls, uh, to come back to California with them to go to this concert. They had backstage passes to this concert. Okay. So the girls, um, their the defenses were down because there were these other women there that were vouching for this guy. And this guy was handsome and he was charismatic. So they, you know, these girls said, yeah, this would be great. It's not that far. It's a six, seven hour drive to go down to this concert. So this guy and these girls went to her parents' house and they got her belongings. Again, seemingly, seemingly normal, right? We're going to drive you to your parents' house and we're going to, we're going to get your stuff. But he's, He's planting that seed, just like you're you're identifying. He he now has face to face with mom. He's been in the house. Okay, he has all of this planned out prior, but it's it's seemingly innocuous. They're showing interest. He he grabbed their stuff on their way down to this concert. They stop at a hotel. These girls are drugged and gang raped before they get to the concert. One of these girls runs. She runs out of the hotel room naked and she gets to, a, I, I believe it was a phone booth. Okay. I don't remember exactly the specifics, how she got her hands on a phone, but she got to a phone and she called her mother and she was in tears trying to explain what had happened to her. And she didn't know where she was. She didn't know what city she was in, etc. So what is, what is diabolical about this story Minutes after this girl called her mother, the pimp called the mom and said, hey, I'm worried about your daughter. We were having a party. You know, we got a little drunk. She got a little hysterical and she she ran away from the party. And I'm really worried about her and I'm looking for her and I and I and I want to bring her back, you know, and, and take care of her. If you hear from her, will you please let me know where she's at? The dude had the balls to call mom with a, with a separate story. So th- this guy is manipulating all of this from the start. 
Okay. And like I said, this girl doesn't even know what city she is. So if you're, if you're in a, remember what it feels like to not sleep for days on end. Remember, remember Ranger school, remember Sears school, remember the Q course. <laughs> You, you, you it seems like every, to, every other year I was just going through yeah. the same thing. And look, can't you get something new? <laughs> but but do you do you remember how you begin to lose touch with reality? Remember yeah. how you begin to hallucinate and you and it, it doesn't really matter where you are. You you're just existing in the moment. It takes all of your energy just to <laughs> for you and I to speak to each other. Like what's happening? You know, like they they keep these girls often in that state. And then when when they're moving them around, you go from let's say you go from Seattle to Los Angeles, that that idea of that that movement. And you're from one hotel in Seattle. You drive through the night. These girls are getting that opportunity to sleep, and then they wake up the next day in a in a hotel room in in L.A. They have no idea where they are. So again, this is that captivity thing. Is okay. She gets outside the hotel. Now she has to find somebody that she can trust, right? Just like us in Sears school, you've got to find that guard you can bribe. You've got to find that you've got to find that pe- that that piece that's going to fit into your rescue, into your recovery. Pimps have the game all mapped out. Sometimes people in the hotel will be in on it, so the security guy will be in on it. The maintenance guy may be in on it. The front desk guy may be in on it, or even if they're not in on it, they will set the conditions and manipulate it so that the girl thinks that they are. So now this girl leaves the hotel room and she's running for safety down the hall, but she's been told that the security guards are in on it. So she fully expects to be rolled up the moment she runs out of that hall. You know, same with law enforcement. The diabolical plan these guys use is they will convince these girls that police are in on it. Lawyers are in on it. District attorneys are in on it. Judges are in on it. They convince them that there's no safe place. So where is it? Can they even go? And an important thing to, to, that I want the listeners to, to, to think about, the women refer to this that we're talking about as the life. The pimps and the traffickers, they refer to this as the game. It's all a game to them. And they make up the rules and they set the conditions and they pull the levers that they need to control and contain that girl physically and more importantly, psychologically. Okay. Okay. So this is one of the things I don't like about your blog. You, you never finish the story. So did the mom fall for it or did so, she call the police? Oh, I see. <laughs> so, it happens in your blog all the time. It's okay. Like, so the mom, <laughs> the mom, the mom, call, and, and, and I, and I appreciate that. And we have to be careful too, because you know, there's, these are live cases. These right, are, right, real, right. you know, that type of thing. So the, the mom calls law enforcement and she, she explains what it is she think, thinks happened. Okay. So here, here are the things that are difficult, right? The girl didn't even know what city she was in. So where the girl lives three states away, what can law enforcement do three states away? Nothing. It's not, it, it's not their jurisdiction. So they, they've got to get a hold of somebody in the, uh, in a local area. Is it a federal crime yet? So what was the crime that was committed? This girl was raped and drugged. At least that's her story, right? There's no, there's no evidence other than a hysterical girl on the phone. This girl's also 18 years old. She literally was eight, 18 in a couple of weeks. So she's not, she's not a missing child. She's not a missing minor. She's an 18-year-old who willingly went with this group of people, and now things have gone wrong. So law enforcement, a lot of times their protocols 
or we let this thing sit for 24 hours because a lot of times it sorts itself out. And people get really angry when we explain to them what the law enforcement protocols are. Like they don't, a lot of times they're not looking for missing persons until 24 hours later. And people get angry. Why, why, why? Because it happens hundreds of thousands of times a year, millions of times a year, a person goes air quotes missing and it resolves itself. So law enforcement has learned over time. They, they can't just chase all of these missing persons reports. They've got to let some, let, let some time resolve. Now, one thing that we've learned over the years is when law enforcement looks at this and they triage these cases, if it was a recurrent runaway, if it was someone that ran away two, three, four, five times, they were they even gave it more time because they saw this pattern, right? They saw this pattern of runaway. So they would give it 24 hours, 48 hours. Well, what we've learned now is the opposite. If there's that pattern of runaway, what we've seen with data and what we've seen with analysis is it's it's more likely they're reaching a problem. So now instead of the way we used to look at it as it was that this was a habitual runner, now we look at it as this is, you can only run so many times and the and it doesn't end well. So over time we've learned law enforcement has learned how to prioritize things. So back to the story. Mom calls law enforcement, there's really nothing they can do. They're trying to figure out where she's at, call us if she calls back again, etc. It just so happened this woman gave garden group a call. And we started digging into it. And, and, and this was a lucky one for us because we can only see what we can see. And as we grow as garden group and our capacity and the personnel and the technology, we're going to be able to help more and more and more. In this particular case, we were able to see the squirrel was already online for sale in, in, in California. And, it, and they used an actual photo of her that they had. So we were able to jump online, run some of these phone numbers tie it to an ad in this California town. And now we have evidence. We have evidence of a girl that's being sold for sex. That's against the law. That's, that's, that's prostitution. But we also have corroboration to her story that she's being exploited and she's being manipulated. As all of this is happening, because this took us some time, um, she called back. We were able to get a hold of, of, of this girl and help her get a return trip back home, at least get back home where she was safe. Okay, now she's home and she just wants to put this behind her. She doesn't want to press charges. She doesn't want to talk about this trauma. You know what I mean? Uh, it's unimaginable. And she just wants to stick it in a tiny little box and bury it in her soul and move on with her life. And you have to respect that. And, and you, 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 you have to understand that that's the cycle that a lot of these women go through. So what, what, what we were able to do then with talk, with getting some information from her and looking into this a little bit deeper and then the law enforcement getting involved, they were, were able to identify this movement pattern. So she was not the first person that fell for this from this pimp, and she would not be the last person that fell for this from this pimp. So we, we could see the movement. This guy did this every month. Every month he would leave his his city in Los, in uh, in California and he would move up the coast and he would recruit girls in all these little small towns. So now we saw a pattern and we had triggers for law enforcement to take action. And as luck would have it, uh, we were able to identify his movement, identify and forecast where it was he was going. And law enforcement was sitting there with a trap waiting for him. And this 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 story ends well for this guy. He He went to prison. Um, this girl never testified. There were other girls that testified. 
she is still living her life with this trauma just kind of buried deep, deep down inside her. So um, besides, besides, uh, that's a good story. And I'm, I'm, you should put more of those uh, endings, whether they're good or bad, because I, every time I read to it and I'm reading, I'm like, well, then what happened? And then, and, and then you're like, yeah, become a guardian, donate. And I'm like, and you'll find out the next part or something like that. That's what I felt. I was like, I donated. Where's the next part? <laughs> um, what, uh, what the next question I wanted to ask was, uh, so you said that uh, the, 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 um, or um, Dre said that the trafficker kind of gets in her head and convinces her that everyone's against her, you know, in the hotel or the police or something like that. But is there other reasons why they might fear the police um, because of the laws, the way the legal system works now and things like that? Yeah, so that's definitely part of the game, part of the tricks, is they will force these girls to conduct crimes. They will force them to do misdemeanors and felonies. They'll, they'll have them sell drugs. They'll have them roll the john. They'll have them do petty crime, petty theft. And oftentimes, they will help. They will get these girls intentionally arrested, intentionally charged. You know, that's one, that's one of the things they hang over their head. If, you, if, if I'm a trafficker and I can get my one of my victims or some of my, my victims with a felony record and I tell her now later on in life, what can you do? You're a felon. You can't vote. You can't get a job. What are you going to do? You know, they, they, they stack that against them. Now, what we're, what we're beginning to understand now and, and where we talked about this, where we look at all of these girls, we look at these prostitutes as victims and we're trying to expunge their records. We're trying to understand what was coerced and manipulated and collectively as a community that's working in the anti-trafficking space, we're doing a better job of, of, of cleaning these girls' records and giving them options. But many of them don't know that. They, they are controlled uh, physically, financially, and, and coerced by these traffickers. Um, I want to go back to one or two things that you talked about with Andrea, too. And one of, the, one of those is that movement, that story I just told you. That is one of the indicators we look for in, in movement. Okay, so think of prostitution. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat generalizing, but you could, you could recognize, right? A prostitute gets her, her uh, repeat buyers. So it would only make sense, right? I'm a, I'm a prostitute in this town and I have 30 or 40 men that come visit me. I get to know them. They're regulars. It's safer, all that type of thing. That, a lot of times that's what prostitution looks like, okay? Tra trafficking is much more transient because that prostitute who stays in one place, there's too many things that the community can see. The law enforcement will bump into them. You know, you get to know, you put your roots down, like Andrea said, you get to know the city, you get to know people that you can trust and you know the, the ones to avoid. Movement is, a, is often an indicator of trafficking that we're looking for. And it's easy to see that movement because they're online for sale in these escort pads. And you, begin, you can begin to see a movement pattern of somebody that goes, whatever, from Dallas to Phoenix to Tucson over to Oklahoma City and back to Dallas. So they kind of have like a cycle or a circuit where they're moving these girls. So that's one of the things we look for when we're trying to discern, is this simply a prostitution case or is this a trafficking case? The other piece too, and we can, we can talk some of those tactics about the hotels and what we're trying to teach them. When we look at this guarding group as a as this is a battlefield we're in there's there's we're all i, I think i mentioned this earlier we're, we're all on a battlefield if you recognize it or not 
there, there is a battle for our children. There, there is a battle for our girls. Okay, and on, on this battlefield, what we've talked about quite a bit in these last couple episodes is online. But then it has to leave online and become into the physical world. And once that connection is made, once that purchase is made online, past the grooming, past the breaking, this girl's for sale, predominantly it happens in hotels. That's where the sex act is conducted. So we really focus on educating the hotels what this looks like and how to better protect themselves. The other piece Andrea touched upon is hospitals. These girls are, are going in for checkups all the time. You can only imagine, okay, what 10, 15 sex acts a day can do to a, to a human body. You can only imagine what this level, level of deprivation and starvation and control can do to a human body. So these girls are in and out of hospitals all the time as well. So when we, when we weigh our efforts as Guardian Group, our number one focus is online, support to law enforcement, and then education to the hotel industry and, and, and uh, hospitals and first responders. Because that's where we see um, on this battlefield, these are, these are the frontline folks. Hmm. Okay. Well, I, hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of a lot of preconceptions I went into this conversation with that I I uh, I, I understand a lot better now. Huh. Okay. Um. I don't. I mean, I don't have anything more really about the the life or the game. Uh, do you got any final thoughts? Okay. So life life and game. I, people need to walk away with that. Um. And when you see what the the indicators that we're looking for often, and I mentioned this the other day, is one. This pimp trafficker oftentimes advertises uh, their value and how important and how much money they can make. And then the, the girls, the victims, they also will advertise on social media to a certain degree how lavish the lifestyle is, how wonderful the lifestyle is. You know, so, you know, we one of the trainings we have, there's a there's a, a, a woman that we've that we've been tracking and her social media name is Million Dollar Ho. Million dollar hole, um, and it's million dollar hole property of blank blank. So you, if if you if you look at this woman's social media, she is advertising who she is. She's a million dollar hole, and she's the property of, and it's the name it's the name of a pimp, Jeremiah, okay. whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a it's usually a moniker. It's like, uh, you know, uh, King Creole or King this or Mac Daddy this or whatever. You know, it's it's, it's usually some stupid name. You know what I mean? Um, but that's again where they hide behind it. And this is, this is something you can relate to also when we were overseas, we were chasing all these guys with fake names like Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. It's not his name. It's a moniker. You know, all these guys pick up these Abu names and and half of the battle is just figuring out who is Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, who really is this guy? You know, so this is one of these lessons we've taken from our previous life in special forces and, and applied it to this. So King Creole. Who's King? Who is King Creole? You know, and when you're able to identify who that guy is and pass that to law enforcement, they're now able to make some connections. Just like Million Dollar Ho. Who is Million Dollar Ho? That's a human. That's a person. That's a, that, that 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 girl exists. And when you can put a true identity to her and you can put a true identity to her pimp, predator, exploiter, you're now beginning to unravel this riddle and law enforcement can now begin to start to take action. So those are the things that we try to look for. The vulnerabilities in this crime is that it has to be advertised. They, they have to put it out there. You know, you, you can't, 
there are these closed systems where you can buy girls, these systems you and I don't know about. You know, any city we go to, there's going to be some closed system where they can purchase a girl and it's not necessarily public. But we're talking about commercial sex industry, where it is an open website that anyone in America, anyone in the world can get on and they can order up a girl. So that because they advertise this crime and there has to be a way to connect, there's going to be a breadcrumb trail to follow. And usually we only have to follow that breadcrumb trail three, four, five steps. And then there's enough information evidence for law enforcement to take action. It's just really up to each department how much time and resources they have to dedicate to it. Okay. All right. Uh, that's the end of this episode. Uh, I, I was going to next, next episode, we we're going to talk about the Johns. Like, who are they? Where is this happening? Is this happening in big cities? Is it happening out in the countryside? Is it happening all everywhere you can think of? That's what I, that's uh that's what our next episode is going to be about. Um, do you want to want to throw uh, your description of the Johns in less than five words as a cliffhanger? Pieces of shit. <laughs> uh, ditto. If you enjoyed this episode, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. If you need help with a potential trafficking situation, please contact your local law enforcement agency or call the National Human Trafficking Hotline at 888-373-7888 or text HELP to 233-733. Resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes at www.guardiangroup.org slash podcast. If you'd like to donate to the fight against human trafficking, please go to www.guardiangroup.org slash donate. If you have a question you would like answered on a future episode, please send it to contact at guardiangroup.org.